This is written by a Carthusian monk on uh, speaking of Christmas. Very contemplative soul. And he begins, whenever God wants to bring about the beginning of a new life, he prepares a sacred place, a haven of purity and silence, where his action can be welcomed unreservedly, safe from all interruptions. All beginnings are thus undertaken in recollection and silence. We see this at Bethlehem. Jesus came to be born, not amidst the clamor of a city, nor in a crowded public place, but in a mysterious cave, a sacred retreat carved in a rock, and hidden therein a virgin, the most chaste, the most silent, the most humble of all creatures. And it was in the heart of that virgin where no earthly desire penetrated that God elected to give himself to mankind. The purity of the virgin's soul is what beget or conceives Christ in the soul. Now, what do we mean by that? A virgin and a pure soul. A soul that's pure, a soul that's clean, it's free from the noise, from the sin and the effects of the world. A soul that is pure and clean is a soul that understands silence. Now, we've lost the sense of silence. The world has overcome us. And we've been overrun by the noise and all the distractions of the world. We live in a world of noise more than any other time in history. The commercialization of Christmas. You go out there and you see all these cars. You can't even get a parking place. You're trying to just buy groceries and you can't get there. Christmas presents. Sales, Santa Claus, Rudolph, all the Christmas specials are on TV. Everybody's rushing around trying to get things done. Noise in the stores. Music constantly being pumped into our ears. Rock and roll. Turning on the radio as we're driving in the car to go to the store. The noise of the television when we get home. The noise of our own conversations. Then the noise of our sins. Gossip. Detraction. Calumny. Constant chatter. Constant talking. And the loss of virtue. Cell phones going off, the internet. Everything's always got to consume my time. Facebook, source of pride, source of scandal, detraction, calumny, gossip, nothing but garbage. All this junk is in the world. It's being thrown at us. It's being fed by Satan. You see, constant noise is the enemy of virtue. Noise is the enemy of God. Noise is a source of sin and a constant reminder of hell. Do we actually think it's going to be quiet in hell? We've already heard what the saints have spoken about that. The word of God can't be heard in the noise. The third book of Kings, chapter 19, tells us, The Lord is not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake. The Lord is not in the earthquake. 
And after the earthquake of fire, the Lord is not in the fire. And after the fire, a whistling of a gentle air. This is where the Lord is found. In peace and silence of the gentle air. Now, this Advent recollection should help us to return to silence in order to be able to pray so that we can contemplate Christ in the stable and give birth to that life of Christ in our souls. Then from this infancy of our spiritual life, begin a life of perfection from now until death. Those who live amidst the noise can't receive the word of God that God himself wants so much to communicate to us. He's out there. He wants to speak to us. He wants to be present in our souls. Now let us look at Mary. She was the most perfect receptacle of the Word of God. Faxin Alphonse, he writes this, but he's quoting the church fathers. He says, before Mary ever conceived our Lord in her womb, She first conceived him in her soul by silence. You see, silence brings Christ into the soul. So when the archangel Gabriel, being come in, as scripture says, found Mary in solitude and recollection, he was drawn to her. She could hear clearly the word of God from this messenger. Even after she conceived, our Lord's scripture tells us, she kept these words, pondering them in her heart. Silence. Silence is the guardian and the protector of the spiritual life. So God will speak to you only in silence. So today's recollection will be entirely in silence. So the silence will begin now and again last to the final blessing of the third conference. But God wishes to speak to your soul. This is why you're here. You came to seek God away from the world. You came to find silence. God wishes to speak to your soul. Will you let him? You see, silence is a positive act that nourishes the soul. Noise consumes the substance of the soul. A soul that loses its love for silence has lost its way to its eternal goal because noise deprives us of divine communication. You cannot, no one can, have intimacy with God without silence. Let us look at the words of the great um, saint and doctor of the mystical life, St. John of the Cross, when his spiritual canticle begins the following. One dark night, fired with love's urgent longings, I went out unseen, my house being now stilled. He's talking about a soul coming to silence. So that it's able to come to find love, to find God himself. You see, God loves us and he's trying to communicate that to us. With all the noise that we give ourselves over to, we're not able to hear his voice and his words. 
And so we remain deaf to all these supernatural communications. And of course, sadly, many of us remain deaf to the supernatural life. So we must focus our silence towards communication with Almighty God. This is the purpose of silence. The garden of the soul must be protected by a wall of silence. And so today we'll look at practicing silence both interiorly and exteriorly. So first we'll talk about exterior silence. Well, right away, this is the first one that uh, is easy for us to understand. You know, we don't talk. And so we'll talk about silence of speech first. Now, St. Benedict in his holy rule says the following. Let us do as the prophet, as says the prophet. I said I will take heed to my ways, that I sin not with my tongue. I have placed a watch over my mouth. I became dumb and was silent and held my peace even from good things. Here the prophet shows that if we ought to refrain even from word, from good words for the sake of silence, how much more ought we to abstain from evil words on account of the punishment due to sin? Close quote, St. Benedict. St. Gregory says that a man given to talk will never make any progress in virtue. The book of Sirach, which is one of the books of wisdom, says the following, quote, Fools' thoughts are in their mouths. Wise men's words are in their hearts. We need to speak little with creatures so that we can speak much with God. Even Dom DeLotte in his commentary on the rule of St. Benedict says that the fundamental purpose of silence is to free the soul, to give it strength and leisure to adhere to God. It frees the soul and it sets us little by little in a serene region where we are able to speak to God and hear his voice. So exterior silence is very important for the supernatural life. But exterior silence is even necessary on the natural level. You know, and this will kind of give us an indication of how it's important when we speak to God, but even on the natural level. Now, if I'm going to go listen to an orchestra, we'll see other people there. You know, everybody's talking and everything like that. But then all of a sudden, the music starts. What happens? Everyone's silent. All of their senses, all of their attention is placed on the music itself. People are watching. Each song is carefully enjoyed in silence. People forget their problems, and it takes them away from the distractions of life. But what are they practicing? Silence. We also ought to practice it for a greater thing, for God himself. This is one on the natural level. But so much greater ought we practice silence for God himself. But silence isn't just about not speaking, because obviously we have to do that. But when we do use speech, we must do it responsibly. Now, we've probably already seen by experience all the trouble that we can get into by detraction, by calumny, by gossip, by Facebook, all that stuff. If we don't, if we haven't seen already, well, we will find out maybe at the last judgment or when we get to a particular judgment exactly what the trouble we've caused with all that, especially at the final judgment. 
But speech has to be used well. And it has to be ordered by God. It has to be ordered to God. Remember our Lord's words. You will be answerable for every idle word. Now, the Lord wasn't just goofing around when he said those words. He said he meant that we will be answerable for every idle word. How many times do we hear gossip, especially out in town, and the severity of the garbage that's being said? And our Lord said, you'll answer for every idle word, every useless word. Not just sin, but useless words. So we have to work on being silence, on silent for others' spiritual good, as well as our own spiritual good. Because the object that we're looking for, remember, is God himself to possess him. So we need to practice silence of speech. That's the first one. The second is uh, having the um, silence working in our exterior actions. These are going to affect the interior. So a lot of times the way a man is exteriorly is how a man is interiorly and vice versa. Now, of course, we shouldn't judge a person's interior. That's for sure. Uh, but a lot of times those will be uh, a lot of reflective things. If we see a man walking down the, you know, the street and he's, uh, he's got a rock and roll song in his head and he's kind of singing it out loud, well, you kind of know what's going on in his mind because there's a, an exterior reflection there. But modesty, St. Thomas tells us, has to do with things interior and exterior to man. He says the outside comportment of men tells us about his interior character. So silence has a place in the soul and also in the character of men. You see, silence orders the motion of the body, not only in action, but also in dress. So we talk about modesty. It has those two things. If a person is very worried about how they appear before others, there's going to be a lack of modesty in dress. If a person's always nervous about things, we'll see it in a person's actions. Modesty itself, that is the external comportment of a person, his body, assists the soul in devotion, and it's a reflection of our interior dispositions. Now, we often see that internal uh, recollection depends on our uh, interior attitude, but also the, uh, the exterior posture affects the interior attitude and vice versa. Posture at Mass, which is normally kneeling, is the greatest sign of reverence and devotion. However, we shouldn't be very self-conscious about these things, that we're trying to do these things to be seen by others, because then there's noise going on in the mind. We're not doing it for God. We're doing it for ourselves to appear in a certain way before men different. We shouldn't be looking to stand out, but to please God. And sometimes it means blending in. St. Francis de Sales had such a devout and reverent genuflection that one time he converted a Calvinist. You see, the Calvinist was uh, was always watching St. Francis, and he says, yeah, he does that only because everybody's watching. And then, uh, so he stayed hidden in the church, and of course St. Francis went around and locked all the doors. It was time, you know, it was, uh, it was evening, and uh, he was watching him the whole time. And then uh, as he was passing by in front of the altar, he watched St. Francis genuflect the same way he did when everybody was there, and he realized... Christ must be there. And so his very, his, his external comportment, his external silence reflected what was inside his soul. So this is why we say that modesty and our exterior deportment helps us uh, in silence. Now the silence of modesty of the body keeps us from rushing here and there in a frantic, chaotic attitude. 
we end up becoming very jittery and always jumping into other people's business and causing their lives misery. You know, just the constant chatter, constant noise. We tend to disturb a lot of people. Plus, we end up losing sight of our own aim and going nowhere quickly. We're always jumping ahead to catch up, even with our own plans. So we get so far ahead of us, we're always jittery. We're always taking attention away from people. If we only spent that time in silence, maybe our problems would be solved. And we wouldn't have to go to others for problems. Because God will answer all those things. Now, St. Alphonsus, great, uh, great saint, he wrote 111 works in his lifetime. 111 works. Very powerful thing for a, for a saint to have done that. But he, he made a vow never to waste any time. But if you looked at the saint, he had a reputation for being very peaceful and very silent. You didn't see him running here and there trying, oh, I gotta get my other thing done, you know, and, uh, you know, trying to run around and get all these different, uh, different works done. He got 111 works, but he did everything in calm and peace because in that silence and in that modesty and in his actions, he was able to get much more accomplished through his patience and through his peace rather than his mind rushing in a hundred different places, trying to focus on ten different things at one time and really never accomplishing anything well. And if you read his works, these are definitely the works of a saint. So silence also is expressed in our actions. But then the silence or the custody of the senses is another way of silence. So we also have to keep a watch over what we see, what we hear, what we touch, taste, and smell. Now here we're not so much worried about what goes out, but about what's coming into our uh, our senses. In fact, St. Thomas says uh, in Latin, nihil est intellecto quod prius fuerit in sensu. Nothing is in the intellect what is not first in the senses. So we apprehend everything through the senses that comes into our mind, our imagination, memory. We take into our soul what we regard exteriorly through our senses. So we have to keep a guard over our external senses, over our external faculties, because they affect our internal, our interior soul, we're actually forming ourselves by the things that we're taking in. And I'll explain that a little bit later. But first I'll give a, uh, uh, a story about these, uh, these monks one time. Now these monks were all meeting at uh, recreation, you know, and they were, they were talking together uh, about all the struggles of the spiritual life, you know. And, and of course the elder monks, because they've been experienced in the spiritual combat for many, many years, um, they spoke of the uh, the combat of fighting off all these various temptations, you know, and what they did in, in the circumstance. And, of course, one of the younger monks, uh, you know, being, it's funny how the young always know more than the older, you know, so they have, and so he's going to pipe up and tell them exactly what the truth is, uh, according to his mind. So he piped up and told them that they made too much of it. You know, you guys are too worried about this stuff. You make too much of it, you know, relax. Spiritual life doesn't involve all that. One of the older and wiser monks one of the more prayerful monks said, the reason you don't feel the sting of battle is that your gates are wide open. The enemy, the evil spirit, and the spirit of the world are free to come and go as they please. And you don't keep them out. In other words, all the distractions, the world, all the things, all the curiosities, all those things can come in and out of that person's mind. And he's never silent. So he's never going to feel the sting of growing in the spiritual life. Now, our senses are always drawn to the things that attract us, and they distract our minds from what is important. And what is most important is union with God. We have to remember that we're not in this world to seek ease, but to seek God. 
And sometimes they're not one and the same. We easily damage our pursuit of God by misusing our senses. All we need to do is look at, uh, in the Bible, David and Bathsheba. He saw her with his eyes. And through that, sin entered into his soul. It entered into his heart. In fact, Scripture tells us that his eyes polluted his soul. Eve listened to the devil. And then she saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eyes. We always have to be aware that our senses are the gateway to the heart. St. Aloysius Gonzaga knew this very much. In fact, he had such a perfect custody of his eyes, he would always look at his feet, but he wouldn't even set eyes on his own mother. You know, of course, his mother would get ticked off sometimes, but this is what he did. He kept very good custody of the eyes. Even when he entered into the, uh, to the monastery, St. Aloysius didn't even know what the inside of the monastery looked like because he always kept his mind you know, focused on what he was doing on where he was going. And so he really didn't know what the monastery looked like from the inside, and he was there for many, many years. So you have to silence the senses. But then in this, we also have to silence our imagination. Now, all the things that we bring in through our senses are going to affect our imagination. Remember, we're being formed by what we're exposed to. The things that we're taking in are, are forming us. Now, a lot of times we'll think, well, you know, I can listen to rock music just going to fo- from point A to point B. It's not going to affect me. Well, it is affecting you. You play the music or you just watch a movie, uh, say the night before coming to Mass, and then you show up on Mass on Sunday, gets what's going through your mind. That movie that you saw the night before or the song you heard coming into Mass. And it's very, very hard for us to come to silence and to try to focus back on the Mass. And so these are things that we have to think about in coming to Mass, but also informing ourselves. What are we listening to? What are we seeing? How are we forming our imagination? If we're hearing good music, music that calms the soul, that helps bring a soul to silence, then the soul is going to be ready to pray. The soul is going to be ready to receive God at any moment. This is very important. TV, music, all these things, fantasy novels, the modern media, they're all forming us and they're damaging our souls because we're letting them get into us. They didn't need internet in the time of St. Thomas Aquinas and look how many saints were walking around. Nobody had, you know, the phones with the texting and all that other stuff. They didn't text each other. Now all of a sudden you take a text away from somebody and all of a sudden they're in a panic. They don't know what to do. Life is over. They didn't have internet. They didn't have phones. If they needed St. John Vianney, they knew where to find him. He was in the chapel praying. That's where they found him. They found him with God. Now, even with our imagination, we might spend our time on conspiracy theories. Now, the thing is, is if we're spending our time on these, yeah, okay, there might be things going on out there. But if we spend our time thinking about these and worrying about these, they're forming us. And they develop a paranoid spirit in us. Once we start developing that paranoid spirit, we start to lose our trust and confidence in God, thinking, uh-oh, what's going on in the world? You know, and, this, and we start worrying about all these different things. What's going on with the American government? Who's corrupting that thing? You know, and we start worrying about these things. What can you do about it? Nothing. More powerful, pray. You can pray. That does more than worrying about these things. Now you might say, oh, well, I need to know these things so I know what to pray about. Believe me, there's enough garbage in the world. Pray. Just pray. You don't need to know about it. You know? There was a, a lawyer who once said that uh, I don't need to go to the sewer to know it stinks. You know, well, you don't need to go into the world to know it stinks. 
So we don't need to worry about those types of things. If my imagination is always going to God, then God will always be able to communicate to us. But if our imagination is always occupied with other things, I'm always thinking about the latest, uh, latest fashions or the next football game, who's playing, then when God tries to communicate to us, he gets a busy signal. There's nobody there. Try again later. When I feel like it. When I want to be silent. But if we haven't been forming ourselves in silence, we're never going to be silent. God's never going to be able to communicate to us. How many times do we find ourselves in interior conversations, holding a debate with no one? You know, we're sitting there debating, oh, yes, if I'm with this person, I would say this. And, you know, I'm going to tell this person this, you know. And, oh, I can't wait till I see this person next time. You know, I'm going to give them the what for. You know, we develop all our arguments and, you know, the great champion of the debate. So we have these things being formed in our mind. And when it comes down, when the rubber meets the road, we see the person and we just, uh, we walk away and nothing happens. So, but we have this great image of ourselves and we have these great interior discussions with ourselves. We might even think, how am I going to put, uh, explain this particular thing to this person? And so we start going through the whole thing. But the imagination has to come to silence. It's very, very important for that. Because our memory, our imagination is, is, uh, is forming us. The things that we take in are forming us in a certain way. Now the last thing we'll talk about is the memory. Now the memory is closely tied with the imagination. In fact, the memory and the imagination kind of work together. The, uh, the memory can bring up stuff from the past and then our imagination can actually go looking for things, uh, in the past. And it's in the memory where we store data and it can be called up anytime, whether by us or by the devil. So that's why if we're feeding ourselves things and we're, and we're taking these things in, we can call them up anytime. But then if they're in there, if they're in our soul, guess who else can call them up anytime? The devil can. You know, a lot of times if we dream at night, we'll see, you know, we're, We'll think of something that happened that day, and that might be the cause of the dream, and it might be a bad dream or something. We think, well, who caused that? Well, the devil can always work in that because he works on our imagination and our memory. But then again, we can work on the things in our memory. You know, things of the past that cause us fear, maybe grudges. But let us listen to what Psalm 44 has to say. It says, Hearken, O daughter, and see, and incline thy ear, and forget thy people in thy father's house. Forget the feelings and the hurts of the past. Forget thy people in thy father's house. Put these things aside. Forgive. Our Lord said forgive 70 times 7. He may have meant that many times. Obviously he meant more. An infinite number. But how about the same sin over and over that we keep rewinding and replaying in our memory? I can't stand that person. Or we see that person and all of a sudden it triggers the memory. and And we have that grudge. There's no silence in the soul. The soul isn't able to think. The soul isn't able to forgive. All memories, all our sensitivities have to be forgotten. Because if we don't forget these, we're going to fall into fear. We're going to fall into hatred. We're going to fall into anger. And we're going to lose that piece of soul that is so necessary for the spiritual life and for silence. We have to forget about the impressions and wild imaginations of creatures. We have to put aside everything in silence. The faults of others, grudges, all these have to be silenced. Even the faults of ourself 
have to be silenced. This is a hard one, you know, because we we're, we're even if, especially if we're trying to grow in the spiritual life, we think, oh, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be holy. I'm never gonna be this or whatever, you know, or the uh, the famous uh, dictum, you know, I'm never gonna be patient. Well, not with that attitude, you're never gonna be patient. If you say, okay. I'm never going to be patient on my own, but I need your help, dear God, to be patient. Well, then you silence the imagination, and you're actually asking the one who's going to help you, and that's God, to be patient. So forgetting self, forgetting what others have done to us, forgetting our own faults, this is the good soil for the spiritual life to take root. We need to remember that. Silence is so important for holiness. Silence is so important for prayer. Silence is so important for our own state of mind and our own peace of soul, even in this world that is involved with noise. If we have silence, if we have interior silence, we can walk with peace. You see, God is not found in the earthquake. God is only found in silence. And I'll I'll read a short prayer uh, from the Divine Intimacy. And a very important person in our faith. And Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity writes, O Mary, nearer than all to Jesus Christ, although at a distance that is infinite, you are the great praise of glory of the Blessed Trinity. You are always holy, unspotted, blameless, in the sight of the thrice holy God. Your soul is so simple Its movements are so deeply hidden that we cannot detect them. Your whole life may be summed up in these words from the gospel. His mother kept all these words in her heart. You lived within your heart so deeply did you enter therein that human eyes cannot follow you. When I read in the gospel that you went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah to perform an act of charity for your cousin Elizabeth, I picture you to myself as you pass by. Beautiful, serene, majestic, absorbed in communion with the Word of God within you. Before Our Lady conceived our Lord in the flesh, she conceived Him in the interior silence of her soul. <clears throat> 